As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And welcome back to another episode of the Malcolm Effect. Super excited to be in conversation with two of my friends, both of them Christian, but the person we're interviewing today is Christian, also known as Comrade Yami. Super excited, a bit of a different episode, I guess, because Comrade Yami has recently released a short film, a horror film, which is absolutely amazing. I'm going to leave the link to the episode in the episode description to the film actually and you can check it out welcome on to the malcolm effect finally <laughs> thanks thank you for the introduction you're, you're too kind <laughs> uh, um, shit i'm more honored to be here uh than anything like christian and nah. congratulations Thank you. Congratulations. The film is dope. I'm not, I gotta like be honest, I'm not the most art kind of inclined person, (laughs) but I reckon, I recognize talent when I see it. Yeah. I recognize talent when I see it. So it was a very. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, you know what? I gotta just ask you, how did you get into film? Like, talk us through that, man. What's the, like, the kind of trajectory? Why have you got into film? Talk me through it. Tell me about you, man. Awesome. Yeah, my name is uh, Christian. Uh, I go by the artist name Yami, Comrade Yami. I it's it's funny, and I feel like people on this who listen to this will appreciate this. I I feel like I got in through film. Like I'm not one of those people that will say like, oh, like yeah, I've been making movies since I was eight. Like I when I got to college, I was pretty like, oh, I don't know what I want to do, and. Found I definitely knew I wanted to do something like in the humanities or something kind of like cerebral. And I actually, my trajectory, how I would articulate it was that I I took like an elective film course, like a film studies course. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I was just really, really blown away at that time. You know, a freshman in college, really open eyed and just really uh, fascinated by this class and my professor that Mm -hmm. was sort of like, We were looking at, you know, films that I otherwise would not have really seeked out, just to name a few. Like, I remember in in this course, we screened, like, Killer Sheep by Charles Burnett and Julie Dash. And I think my work has become something else than than those filmmakers. But just seeing, you know, Julie Dash and Charles Burnett are two, like, Black American filmmakers from the 70s that definitely made work, for lack of a better term, of a more, like, radical sort of counter-aesthetic and so, yeah, nice. seeing like 18, 19 exposed to that, it just like kind of opened new doors for me in my head. And at first I was in a, I was in a pipeline program to actually send like underrepresented minorities into academia. So nice. I actually in, in 2016 or 2017, I would have told you that, yeah, I want to like get a film PhD and study films. And I think over time, it this kind of evolved into like, well, I can make the films that I would want to study. Like, you know, there, there's there's film out there. There's definitely films out there that, like, I, like, love and could talk about all day. But there, I would 
conceitedly argue that there's there's a there's a lane out there that hasn't been uh, too explored yet, and rather than mm-hmm. wait on someone else to make them and write analyses, I'm actually interested in making them myself. Um, and this was all like I think like about five years ago at, at that like the wow. middle of college that transformation for me. And then yeah, so like towards the end of my like undergraduate years, I was just super kind of invested in like becoming a filmmaker. It's weird to think about it in hindsight because the confidence or the sort of like comfort by which I'm able to say that, yes, I'm a, I'm a young filmmaker and that's what I want to do is definitely something that I grew into. It was a lot of like self-doubt at the end, like for context, you know, my family is Nigerian, mm-hmm. uh, very proud. I was born and raised in the States, but you know, my family comes from like the Niger Delta. And if you know anything about Nigerian history and whatnot, that's a particularly like underdeveloped region of the country. And I grew up like pretty comfortable, pretty middle-class, but no one in my family d- does anything like this. Like, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I was never exposed to this being like an option until I became much older. So o- over time, I got more comfortable with the idea. I pretty kind of, in hindsight, just boldly just like moved to LA the day after graduation. I was going to school in the Bay Area, so it wasn't like that crazy of a move. But I moved from the Bay Area to LA, like literally the day after I graduated college three years ago. Uh, It'll be three years on the 18th. So uh, we're coming up on that anniversary. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I moved here. didn't have no job lined up. And and. I'm not the kind of person that like I'm I'm just not good with like a 9 to 5 and like I'm just not good yeah. like doing what I don't want to do so the true creative <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yes, I know like it's it's uh it's that's nice it's some truth to that you know like I just like I don't really like working for other people or just being tied down to one one space but I started off as a production assistant actually in commercials and like what a production assistant or PA is, they're like, basically the way I tell people kind of crudely is that they're the ones who do everything that needs to get done, but is below everyone else's pay grade. So you are Mm. like, you know, truly like a a grunt worker, like on set, so to speak. And I actually started off in commercials because that's just like the, the first people who gave me a chance. They were, they were in the commercial world and Mostly worked in commercials. I've done a couple movies and TV and yeah, more. Yeah. So it's been a lot of like, like, you know, just trying to survive COVID. I'm not going to make this a COVID episode, but that's <laughs> to say the least and put made stuff uh, hard, like surviving it. LA is not a very, uh, LA is not for the week. Is <laughs> what I'll say. It's, it's, it's interesting. Like it's a, it's a very beautiful place, but. It's it's also a very like cutthroat city in a in a in a particular type of way, but I've you know I've been able to survive. I've been able to to make it out here and 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 pay my bills. And yeah, about almost a year ago, about like last year September, I came upon this grant opportunity from the Dolby Institute. Actually, mm-hmm. if, if for those who don't know Dolby, they they make like screening technology. Like like mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever go to like an AMC, but those Dolby theaters basically. Child, I should explain this better. Uh, but basically, uh, it's like they offer like higher end like theater experience, and they also you know are bringing that experience into the home. So they they make it they make the sound better, and then the and then the visuals, the picture quality is is more dynamic and can hold more information. And they were trying they're doing 
they were doing this kind of like grant program where they basically wanted to expose young, more or less minority filmmakers to uh, their technology. Because, you know, in the world of filmmaking, it's it's not even all feature length movies that get like the Dolby experience. You know what I'm saying? That's something that usually pretty expensive, et cetera. But this was a really cool opportunity because like not only did I win a grant, but I also like got to work with some serious, very experienced ass like technicians in like the final stage of like filmmaking. Not to not to brag, but the the guy that uh, brag now <laughs> like, like <laughs> before when they were coloring my film they had just got done like doing the batman so it was it was like wow. yeah like you working with like the best that that, wow. that that are out there but yeah i don't know just to, yeah just to summarize no thank you so much for that <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, thank you. yeah just i just fell in love with like movies like i just like it just from 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 what they can mean intellectually to like just making them is very like challenging and it, like making a film is very like intellectually stimulating and challenging and like it's not just like a brain challenge it's like it's a craft challenge too like it's just like yeah i don't know i'm just like kind of obsessed with the totality of like filmmaking personally yeah so back to you know the short film that you were able to direct with this grant, you know, you, you chose to make a horror film. The, the film is called Hunted. So could you explain this genre of horror and uh, what aspects, you know, uh, theoretically or, or whatnot of the genre, you know, draw you to it as a creative medium? Great question. Great question. Yeah, I love horror. I'm like a horror evangelist. Yeah, like once I got into film and I would, you know, also clarify that I definitely watch like non-horror movies I'm familiar with the canon, et cetera, et cetera. But I found myself drawn to horror movies on like just multiple, once again, in their totality. One, personally, like I just feel like they're fun to watch. Even the worst ones are entertaining. Like seeing a, seeing a horror movie, like I will usually try to go see like any horror movie that's out in the theaters. Just because like it like to me, it's just like a it's it's a fun experience. But yeah, similarly to like my brother trajectory, I took a seminar on horror films in college and really became invested in this sort of like theoretical, artistic and political history of the genre. And it just like retrospectively just really just opened my third eye in a way like concerning like my whole life. I took to... to to more or less summarize, I feel like horror is the genre by which you can really explore some of like the darker depths of human psychology or human interior life and emotional our emotional experiences of ourselves and each other. And it is historically seen as like the genre of the the repressed. And I think for me, I would just actually say my family's kind of better than most West African families, but Mamadou, as you as you know, Christian, you know, as you can you can definitely relate to this too. It's a lot of like our familial cultures are usually pretty conservative and pretty like mm. you know <laughs> yeah repressed for lack of a better word as a, as a hesitate as there's a hesitancy uh, a hesitation to I guess like explore talk about the difficult things that occur in our lives. So I just 
but I've I've always kind of been been drawn to that. I've always been drawn to like you know having conversations that people don't want to have, and I get very frustrated in my personal life when people kind of shy away from having difficult conversations. Like anyone that knows me on a on a personal level would you know describe me as being kind of intense in that way, and so it just I was just very fascinated by across the globe, across different historical moments, how horror filmmakers would deal in transgressive or otherwise like taboo subjects. And I don't know, as I, as I, as I have gotten older and like have matured as like a person, as an artist, like I would argue that there, there's a, there's a lot of value in provocation. Like, you know, I think every culture and society needs people that, commit a bit of like iconoclasm and will sort of push push the buttons. Now I think the the you know the questions that that horror brings up and I think like the the sort of like tensions and anxieties that it brings up. I I don't try to be like prescriptive in my work, but rather I'm just coming from the point of view that like, you know, these things are meant to be like put out there and talked about and whatever conclusion you reach, you know, that's to each their own, but we don't gain anything by sort of avoiding them. And then I just think too, like horror filmmaking is just so fun. Like, you know, cause it's a, like all films are like this, but particularly in horror, like your, your agenda, not only to tell a story is to, you know, cause some sort of effect in your audience. Like you are trying to impact your viewers and your audience on a very sort of like cognitive and visceral level. And I just like find myself like fascinated by that. And I think like people make, people think horror films are like easy to make because they have always kind of existed in this low culture space, like, you know, not seen as sort of like high art, but a good horror film is like really hard to make. And like people, you know, I think really underestimate that. And yeah, I don't know. I've just like, I also, you know, use horror very sort of like loosely, just like because of my studies, like I don't like the concept of a genre is something that is like both defined by the the stuff that makes up that genre and the very nature of like studios will distribute something as horror, depending on like the the audience they want versus like they'll take a similar movie and call it a thriller because they want it to be like more prestige or whatever. So, you know, the whole I big disclaimer that to me, genre is very like ephemeris and there's like a lot of like, I guess, like slippage and uh, porous definitions of like what constitutes a horror film. So I'm, I'm very sort of like uh, almost almost postmodern in, in that way. I think uh, I think uh, to me, I would define horror as I'll partially define it as like filmmaking that generally deals with negative affects if that makes sense. You were almost like starting to answer this question as I was, as I just like thought of it while you were speaking. But I was wondering if, you know, if you think that horror as a genre elicits a unique emotional or visceral experience, or does it elicit a an accented emotional or visceral experience like compared to other genres? Like, is it is there a you know unique feeling that the audience experiences in a horror film, or is it just that engage in a certain emotional experiences that is just a bit more intense than when they uh, watch other films, other types of that's, films? That, yeah, that's the interesting question because to to my to my previous point, it's like I think 
it's a yes and yes question. Like, I don't know. Like, I do think that there are horror films that people... So, so there's like the film itself and then there's like the reception of the film and, you know, the spectator's experience of the film. And I think, you know, what is interesting is that when you call something a horror film, audiences in, in all their diversity and difference, like taste and palates, they're going for a particular type of experience. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a, there's a degree to which that they are sort of, expecting terror, dread, or disgust, and they're attempting to, like, seek pleasure from that. So I always like to kind of think about it. Almost almost anything could, like, be a horror film or not a horror film, depending on, like, how it was, like, made, if that makes sense. So, like, the flip side of, like, what I just said was that horror filmmakers, you know, I think there's a decision to shoot a scene or, you know, create this, this sequence that in your mindset is going to emphasize the more terrifying aspects of it or induce hope ideally usually induce like a sense of like anxiety in your audiences so i think i don't know if this answers your question but i think there's like a there's like a symbiosis that sometimes lines up and sometimes like doesn't between like a horror filmmaker or filmmakers trying to intentionally create work that induces shock disgust, terror versus like audiences understanding that that or having expectation that that's the experience that they're going to get from the film. So this might be like a basic question. Uh-huh. Those are <laughs> so, the <basic> questions. <laughs> so then, okay, speaking about horror, you kind of went into it a little bit about giving a, I guess, a description or definition. What makes something a horror film? Because when I'm thinking of horror film, again, I'm not the most artsy person. I'm thinking I'm trying to get scared. But I think it's so much more than that. So what makes something a horror film? I love this question because I don't like it's I don't like the answer is a bit more if you I feel like if you're being true to the history, the answer is is mm-hmm. there are whole there are whole books written sort of like arguing over this. And I would just say that, you know, it's a it's kind of a multifaceted like concept because a horror film, you know, you can define it by its aesthetics in the sense that okay, it's a film about fear and disgust. Uh, I can't remember who wrote that, but one of like the seminal horror film scholars made a specification that divided horror films between like thrillers and and sci-fi in the sense that horror is dealing in both fear and disgust. But then, like I said, like I, it, it should not be sort of dismissed that a lot of what defines any film genre is really just like marketing and what what intent or what strategy that the the distributors want to approach with the film. So that's also part of the definition of the genre. It's like whatever people, whatever, you know, distributors call horror becomes a horror film or whatever they don't call horror is kind of seen as like not a horror film. But I feel like a horror film can sort of be described as a film that deals in provocative or transgressive subject matters with the intent of generating any combination of what would be considered negative affects in viewers. So fear, disgust, envy, terror, shock. That's my very sort of loose definition of it. So I do want to, you know, get into your actual film. (laughs) (laughs) There are two main characters in your film and both are 
black queer men uh, that appear to have some sort of romantic relationship. And I found that the predicament of the film as a horror picture, you know, as you're talking about generating affect, you know, allowed for uh, visceral emotional responses from the viewer. As And, you know, it also uh, evoked uh, these responses in the characters as well. In many ways, you know, the various aspects of a relationship, specifically romantic in na- nature, but not always limited to such, uh, were brought into examination by these intense emotional conditions of the film's plot. You know, was there any intentionality in the way that you chose to depict the relationship between these characters given their identity? Yeah, I think, well, just to back up back up a bit, make sure I'm like understanding the, the question. I, Hunted is like intentionally, it's this, um, I'll call it a, an attempt to like uh, c- achieve like a sort of surreal horror exercise where essentially it's about a sort of like tumultuous relationship between a black two black gay men and it's sort of I'm not going to say message but what it's what it's trying to sort of embody is the fact that like it can be very difficult to have like a healthy relationship with someone if both of y'all sort of experience or both of y'all experience life very traumatically coming from different sort of social familial or like societal pressures And so, yeah, like the two main characters, the idea is that they're like a couple and they are sort of thrown into like a sort of hyper literal worst nightmare. And rather than sort of like getting along and and making it out of there, I try to sort of play up the fact that even in this life or death situation, they still arguing about shit. So is that is that like on track to? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. So, you know, additionally in the film, usually in horror films or oftentimes in horror films, we see like a variety of different monsters, vampires, werewolves, Frankenstein. What was the reason that you decided to choose the cannibal as, as the monster in your film? Yeah, I think a lot of like the subtext of the film is very sort of like erotic. It, should this be like spoiler? I don't really care. But <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all up to you. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, like I think uh, it's, uh, like the fourth scene, the figure of like th- there's the figure of like the sadistic hunter in the film is supposed to sort of like embody Andre, the shorter character's fears of like sort of sexual violence and those type of experiences. And conversely, like throughout the film, you have, you know, Zane sort of like bear witness to like other people, you know, being desired and consumed and him, you know, sort of being excluded from that. So I think like there is like a strong, or I did intentionally kind of have like a strong sort of like erotic subtext to the film. And I think in the context of, of horror, I find myself like drawn to the, to the cannibal. Well, because like, you know, monstrous figures in horror, you know, they're typically utilized as sort of metaphorical, or sort of, um, they're always sort of like, each of them, you know, have like, I think different sort of artistic and historical themes that they sort of animate. And I find myself drawn to like the cannibal because I think it's such an interesting figure, I think in like horror monster iconography, because I would argue like, the cannibal kind of reminds me of like the vampire in the sense that 
they're both, I think, like eroticized monsters. They're both dealing, you know, you can use them to sort of like explore the convergence between like desire and consumption. Like, yeah, I don't think I need to explain like how like eroticized like vampires have like historically been. But I think cannibals, there's also like an erotic potential that's particularly muddled by the just very grotesque reality of like what cannibalism is. But I've been, I'm I'm like fascinated with how like disgusting that like that idea conjures. But it like, if you think about it, cannibalism shows its face um, in our daily lives all the time. But I think there's, there is something going on like, I think there's something to be said about how much sort of like sexual in, in, innuendo, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but like, you know, how much doublespeak we have around sexual activity that really plays on like literally eating someone else. Like, just like the phrase like eating someone out or the way we like use like food metaphors to describe like someone or something uh, we're attracted to. So I, I just, you know, I, I was drawn to sort of playing into like that sort of, um, slippage between like disgust and desire and yeah i don't know if that answers answers your question i also think too less sort of pronounced but as like a Af- like a west african there's definitely like a, his- a history cannibals being associated with tribal communities and uh you know when europeans would come in contact with indigenous people on africa and latin america and whatnot there were a lot of like myths of cannibalism that emerged from that. So it's it's also kind of like coming from that sort of uh, racialized and colonial history. Mm, it'd be for a money ritual or it'd be for a money ritual. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I wanna say I wanna say something about that, but let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Christian. Yeah. yeah, no, you said something uh interesting about or in bringing up the contrast between um, vampires and cannibals. And uh, as you alluded to, you know, it is undoubtable that the vampire is an erotic character. I mean, you think of Twilight, you think of, oh, well, you know, you even think about like Ganja and Hess. And you, it's undoubtable that there's a, a level of romance, not, I would, I would say, you know, not just eroticism, but romance afforded to the, the, the figure of the vampire. But do you think the kind of claim to desirability and the kind of claim to certain forms of eroticism by particular uh, monsters is a malleable social phenomenon, right? It's, is this something that can be shifted? Is the cannibal something that can achieve this this level of, of romance or eroticism? Is there any point of the cannibal being lifted or lifting the cannibal into that uh into that position. I definitely think, you know, these, like with vampires, they, the way they are seen as kind of erotic figures a la Twilight is definitely something that occurred over a historical process. I wouldn't be the best one to tell you the details, but the original sort of like image of Dracula, whether in literature or like the early sort of like vampire movies, these suckers were disgusting. There was, I think, in I think in the original Dracula text, there was a big emphasis placed on overgrown nails, the sort of grotesque nature of of like you know this this monster. Like you know, there's been arguments made that 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 vampire Dracula was supposed to embody the the racialized other, 
from Western Europe, like the, the Eastern European other. And I think, you know, in Nosferatu, there's a lot of emphasis placed on rats. It's just like, it's definitely, a, it's, it was definitely, it's definitely transformed, I would argue, into what it generally is now or, or, or has been in the last two decades. I wouldn't, I, th- I don't think, uh, I can't really speak as to like why or how, but I definitely think you can, you should, you can make a case that these figures like can be malleable over time. Now with the with the cannibal, I feel like this is really just like my own personal viewpoints uh, and just my sort of personal subjective analysis of it. I think the cannibal has has historically just been more like grotesque. It's just like yeah, there's a bit of like an erotic co- subtext, but I think the the grotesque nature of it in both the vampire and the cannibal, there's like a erotic and grotesque sort of duality going on. And I think vampires maybe over time have come to privilege the erotic versus like cannibals, like in most of their cinematic depictions up until arguably recently, it's been like a very sort of like grotesque and just like disgusting thing. Like there's a way that you could, you know, depict cannibals that's like sexy and there's a way that you can depict them that's like, you know, pretty disgusting. And I think, Mostly over time, it's been like the disgusting way. But I think what's interesting is that actually recently you're starting to see like cannibalism being depicted more erotically. Off the top of my head, Raw by Julia DeCarnu is like, you know, a pretty prominent example of that. But I think I'm still like investigating. I still, I still don't, I still haven't really reached a conclusion as to like what it means for the cannibal to be like an erotic and grotesque figure. But I would, argue particularly grotesque. I think there's something about cannibalism that it's just like there's a duality there in the sense that like a vampire, Frankenstein, zombies, they're all these sort of like supernatural entities and there's like a literal sense of like they're not human. But with like with the cannibal, what makes cannibalism so repulsive is the fact that it's a human doing these things to another human or something, you know, it's like mm-hmm. there's 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 nothing supernatural about it per se. Like it's a very, it's sort of like a hyperhuman act. You're doing the most, you're human doing the most basic human functions, which is to eat, but you're eating yourself. You're eating something that is, is completely identical to you. So I think there's something about, I think it's fascinating how like rather than a supernatural monstrosity, it's the very humanness of cannibalism that's like repulsive to us. I'm sure... I'm not equipped to make this argument yet, but I am sure there's something to be said about that. And it's racialized in colonial history, if that makes sense. And I think like why for me, I like to, you know, go through these routes of cannibalism is that I like to depict eroticism and romance, but personally invested in the more darker and troubled aspects of it, which I think the cannibal like the, the the cannibal makes like way more profound and more apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think uh, in your film to, uh, you know, the 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 very beginning scenes, you know, where the pain is dripping on, is it Andre's body, you know, with the bondage guy? My favorite know. scene. <laughs> I'm, so glad, I'm so glad you caught that because that was very, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, like yeah. trying to, trying to do like, you know, they're, they're like, even like, even when you're writing a script, there's some stuff that you can't really see yet. And then there are moments where it's like, 
this is going to be in this movie. And <laughs> I was very sort of like in this. So what's going on, if it wasn't clear, is that you have this sort of, I think it's like a mash cut where these hunters, they pull out, uh, I call them hunters, but the masked men, they, they pull out like, they're like terrorizing this victim. And it's kind of alluded to that one of them is sort of like jacking off in front of him. So like violating him in that way. And then it jumps cuts to inside the shed to blood falling on Andre's face, almost like a money shot. But, you know, it's uh, it's like blood dripping or red paint, whatever it is, dripping from uh, the the sadistic, the main hunter's like paintbrush. And yeah, that, that to me was just like my attempt at really sort of breaking down this boundary between like horror, like, you know, horror and like erotic or, you know, even pornography. Um, a really seminal essay that I read in college by Linda Williams, she talks about like the body genres, the genres of ex- ex- excess, and she makes a sort of like connection between like horror, pornography, and melodrama as being like genres that are invested in bodily excess and bodily fluids. So blood for horror, like semen and vaginal excretion for like pornography and like tears from melodrama. And what I find like interesting about that and and what I try to do in my own work is really just kind of like trouble the distinction between the three intentionally. Uh, obviously, I'm most invested in like horror, but um, I, I, I find it uh, interesting to sort of like arouse people and also scare them at the same time. That's something I was definitely trying to do with the film. And um, yeah, just sort of like really making our bodies double, double d- reconsider like the division we make between like these different like feelings. Yeah, do you think um, the erotic and uh, horror both uh, share an ability to evoke um, visceral uh, bodily responses from from its viewers? Yeah, they they can like like definitely, and I I think that's like that's what they deal in. Like that's their almost like agenda, if you will. Um, but what what I and what I try to do in my work is just like I think I think I'm not like making things up or or not I'm not too far fetched to sort of like argue that it's just so interesting how like our mind like or just like like culturally like we make a big difference between stuff that is disgusting versus stuff that is like desirable, but I think there's a way in which like the bodily responses to those aren't like that different. I don't know if that's making sense or that's, you, you yes, follow yes, what I'm yes. saying. No, absolutely. I like this. This is kind of uh, the question I wanted to close out with. Um, and it does relate to, and I believe it relates to, you know, what you're bringing up about desirability. But, um, you know, there was a scene in there where the line was spoken, you were chosen, I was thrown away. And, you know, this is one of the most emotionally charged scenes in the movie. And it occurs uh, during one of the only moments of extended dialogue. Could you tell us more about the significance of this line and how it uh, approaches the topic of envy? 
as a pointed as pointed out in the description of your movie and potentially discussions of desirability. Yeah, definitely. What what is kind of generally or how I like originally conceived the movie is that so the main character Zane, he is someone that you can describe as his biggest fear or his experience of homophobia and that form of violence has been through like commute, like sort of being like an outcast in the context of like a big group. Like I, I kind of wrote him as someone who, you know, he grew up in a big family and it's pretty close to them, but be- because of the fact that like he has all this family around him and, and there's just, just strong communal spirit, him being different in this type of way has always sort of like resulted in alienation for him. Um, so he, he in, in response to the sort of intense alienation he experienced growing up, he always, he has found himself, Zane has found himself like wishing for and craving like that desire from a, from a group that he's also like very afraid of. So like throughout the film, I like his biggest fear is like this whole like mob. His biggest fear is like this entity of like a mob that is terrorizing and consuming desirable subjects. And he's just in this weird psychosexual state where he's like afraid of them, but also like wants to be one of them and wants to be like desired by them. And I would argue that this is, in a lot of ways, like a very common experience amongst like queer men. I think not to get too Freudian, but yeah, we just like, we have a lot. It's very common for us to have like childhood experiences of seeing the group, like being amongst a group of boys, but feeling very, very different from them and feeling like ostracized, whether it's amongst your cousins or amongst your brothers, or, you know, when you make it to like school and stuff, like feeling ostracized by like, you know, your own community. And there's this, there's this, uh, I think, particular sense of envy of like, you want to like be with them, like sexually, like, you know, you want to like, like have, like you, you want to be chosen, if you will. And then you also just want to be like a part of the group. So that kind of manifests itself in, in Zane and his, his contrast, Andre is someone that high sort of conceptualize his character is that, well, he has been, he has like been someone that has been chosen or been desirable, if you will. But being desired in and of itself isn't like, isn't necessarily a positive thing. Isn't like necessarily always like something to sort of like strive for, something to really envy in the sense that with Andre, how I wrote his character was someone who, he, well, he didn't grow up around family. He was, he was left alone a lot. And maybe that made him very vulnerable to a particular type of violence with the older family member because of lack of supervision and because, you know, he didn't have anyone around to sort of look after him. And so Zane is sort of envious at Andre for what's going on was that like Zane wakes up like amongst trash, like he was thrown away. So like I shot him waking up amongst like a trash heap versus like, you know, when we see Andre, he was picked out and, and essentially 
was chosen to 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 be a special victim. I don't know if that makes sense. Like he he was really chosen to be at the whim of one of these like hunters, whereas like you could read it as Zane being discarded and undesirable. And so in their argument, they're both in fucked up situations. They're both in situations that are frankly not desirable and not, you know, they both deserve more, but Zayn is too caught up in his own shit and too busy being like sort of envious that his partner was chosen and that he wasn't that like he lashes out. And that kind of is in my way, a kind of metaphor of how like, I think a lot of dating between, or just, you know, romantic experiences between black queer men tends to like devolve in, in the sense that like, you know, it's my personal experience, but I feel like, the world usually isn't very nice to us and we're the meanest to each other, if that makes sense. Like it's, it's, I feel like a lot of my experiences and a lot of the experiences of my friends and my like peers can really just kind of be summarized as hurt people hurting each other for lack of like a more sophisticated term. I think like what is going on between the couple, I think it's just a microism of like, trying to build a healthy relationship and trying to like see past your own individual pain to like see another person and and see them for who they are. Uh, So it's not that they're each other's worst enemies, like they've both been harmed for lack of a better term uh, by the world around them, but they don't necessarily, just because they've been harmed by others, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to mean that they're going to know better not to harm each other. Like they have to like work towards that. Thank you so much. So finally, the year is 2080. Comrade Yami has had an amazing career in the filmmaking industry. (laughs) Multi-award winning director. Yes. And you come on on to the Malcolm Effect once again. And I ask you, (laughs) what has your, what has, or what is the legacy you have contributed? Or what is your legacy in the world of filmmaking? How do you respond? Damn. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) this is an intense question well who knows i have my own dreams but time will tell history will hopefully history will will look at me fondly but i think i'm just committed to making provocative work not just Mm -hmm. like the sake of it but just because like i really do believe that in this increasingly conservative and reactionary Mm -hmm. world that we find ourselves in, there is a place and there is space for creative production that Mm -hmm. unapologetically challenges social and cultural values. I think film is not what is, is not going to be what frees us. I'm not, I know better than to like Mm -hmm. argue that (laughs) film or really cultural production in this stage without a sort of organized material political reality is going to be what frees us. But I don't think we're living in a world where I don't, I don't think it should be taken for granted that the right is effectively organizing to trample on whatever marginal gains that queer mm-hmm. people have made. And then on in a, a lot of online discourse about queer identity or LGBT life has, I think, kind of, is trying to push us back into the closet. It's trying to, like, sort of retro, kind of just 
slash down some of the whatever gains might have been achieved by us. Like, I think mm-hmm. there's this weird, you can't be like openly homophobic in like an archaic way, but you can be homophobic in like a new age way, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And beyond yeah. that, I just think, uh, I don't know if you guys are like privy to this conversation, like, like even just in like more broadly, like there are people arguing, oh, no movie should depict sex at all. Why is there a sex scene in a movie? Like, like, I personally believe that all of this shit is connected, personally. Like, I think we are really sort of, like, staring at the belly of the beast and, like, what's going on in the political realm is having these impacts in, like, the cultural and discursive realm. And so, yeah, coming from somebody that's Nigerian, born and raised in the States, happens to, you know, be be gay and Black and these things, I want to sort of contribute to a very robust legacy provocative and bold and daring cinema that I don't think my voice or my perspective has necessarily been a part of the discourse yet though. So yeah, I don't know. Like I just like, I'm really committed to hopefully making difficult movies. Mm -hmm. I'm really committed to making films that one are just like really well made. I like respect the craft of it, but also, yeah, like are, are a bit like unapologetic and how they engage with the subject, mm-hmm. the subject matters. You know, like I'm really inspired by films from like the the 70s and and whatnot that were highly sensationalistic that you frankly couldn't make like right now. Like I, I think I'm, I'm kind of trying to make films that you can't make anymore, but also make them in like mm-hmm. a different way. And I hope history like remembers me fondly. And I hope because and I do believe that future generations, b- when all of us are gone, are going to look back at this moment and be like, "Damn, like they were really conservative and reactionary as hell." But there were a few people trying to to push against mm-hmm. the brain. And I think that's a beautiful way to end up. Thank you so much once again. I'm going to share the link for the Hunted. Please watch it, share it. It's an amazing piece of art. Um, even for someone who's again not so much knowledgeable about film or filmmaking I can appreciate a good piece of um, work so thank you so much for coming to the Malcolm Effect I'll leave your socials in the comments please like comment subscribe and until next time peace out